As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Before we get started today, listeners, I'm going to take a punt and say that it's likely that some of you are gentlemen of a certain age and you've spent slash wasted several hours of your life playing football manager down the years. But if you wanted to get better at the game, you can join our very own Ian McIntosh, author of the world-famous Football Manager Stole My Life, on Tuesday the 25th of May for the Ultimate Football Manager Masterclass. Sports Interactive's Tom Davidson will deliver a top-level briefing on the secrets of FM21 and then former Rangers Aston Villa and Birmingham manager Alec McLeish will pass on some real-life lessons from his nearly 25 years in real-life management. There are top prizes to be won too, including the opportunity to take on McLeish in a live-streamed winner-takes-all game of FM21. The event is all online and you can get your ticket for only £7 right now over at link.dice.fm masterclass that's really catchy so we'll do it one more time link.dice.fm slash masterclass the championship ties are brought to you in large part by the letter b in league one it's the age-old battle of tangerines versus yellows and imps versus black cats while in league two will the exiles make it anywhere it's up to you newport newport and fgr morecambe and Tranmere. this is the totally football league show in association with paddy power here we go then, gang. Strap yourselves in for the maddest part of the season as the EFL playoffs get underway this week, hence why we're in your ears earlier than usual today. The we in question are me, Matt Davis-Adams. I'm also joined by EFL goal centurion Sam Parkin. Hi, Matt. How you doing? All right, thanks, mate. Yeah. Uh, also with us, the trickiest of wingers turned pundits, Adrian Clark. Hello. And from TalkSport, BBC London and 100 podcasts in between. The only person in broadcasting I'm happy to share the double-barreled spotlight with is Flo Lloyd-Hughes. Good afternoon, Matt. Hi. Uh, Later, we'll hear from Steve Cook, Michael Appleton and Carlos Mendez-Gomez. But let's start by looking ahead to the Championship semis. Right, we're going to kick off our look ahead with Bournemouth versus Brentford. The playoffs getting underway at 6pm on Monday evening as the Cherries welcome the Bees to the Vitality Stadium for the second time in just over three weeks. Adrian, does that matter much, that recent meeting which uh, which finished 1-0 despite Pontus Janssen's red card? Will, will Brentford be, be leaning on that in their preparation? No, no, they won't be leaning on it, but but it's not going to do them any harm, is it? That's for sure. I think it just give them a little bit of confidence that that they they can beat this team with with ten men. Yeah, it was it was a really good performance. If memory serves me right, they they deserved it, 
and and yeah that that will give them a one percent psychological edge but really we know what it's like it's it, the form tends to go out the window and 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 we'll, we'll just see who can handle the pressure the best over the two legs you look at the form book Brentford should win both legs and cruise through to Wembley but playoffs don't don't usually work like that do they no uh, Flo, you might tell me that this is completely wrong, given that you're a QPR fan. But but are Brentford the the neutrals' choice, if only because it's not a great look having the three relegated teams go straight back up again? Yeah, I think so. I think on the last day of the season, when we were, I was covering Watford Swansea for BBC London, I was kind of pushed into a playoff winner uh, prediction. I did. I said Bournemouth, but I kind of instantly regretted that because actually their form towards the end of the season re- re- did really nosedive. And Brentford managed to recover from their dip of form in sort of February time. So I think they're looking really good. They've still got some key injuries, which is really unfortunate, but they've got a goal machine and that's kind of the, the key really. And I think although there are still the trauma from last season... I do think that they've learnt from it in some ways. And I think there's other teams who still carry a lot of that with them. So I think they just have to not go in with too much kind of arrogance. Like they probably did go into last season expecting to be to be going up through the playoffs and that kind of came back to bite them. So it'll be interesting to see how they go into it this season with the expectations and the, the sort of build up and the rhetoric around that. Sam, does the the fact that Thomas Frank's been in situ for for a while at Brentford give them an advantage over over Bournemouth? You've got a, a rookie manager for one thing, but but also on the flip side, is it is it promotional bus for Thomas Frank? Do you think that they'd want him to to have another go next season? Yeah, I think they would probably. I, I don't see that this being the end for Thomas Frank if they aren't to, to to make it through. And and to answer your first question, yeah, I, I think that. Thomas Frank's probably got more strings to his bow tactically than than Jonathan Woodgate, who, who's done brilliantly to to steady the ship, go on that winning run, and get them in the the playoffs. When I probably anticipated them maybe being the team that dropped out. Um, you know, this is a a Brentford team that has got really good individuals, but the collective's very strong against the Bournemouth side, who have got brilliant individuals, and I don't see them being. A brilliant side. I don't think that the structure has been fantastic throughout the season. You know, it's been a lot of different shapes. Uh, a lot of different players have had purple patches at different spells. Probably Dan Juma is the one who's had consistency throughout. But it's the one game where you would anticipate there being loads of goals over the two legs. Whether that will happen or not, uh, we'll have to wait and see. But I think Brentford would probably take a nil-nil or a one-nil either way in that first game. Uh, down in in Bournemouth and and try and do the business in the second leg, but but yeah, I, I think when it when we look at it going into it, Thomas Frank is relatively experienced now. Has done a really good job. Jonathan Woodgate is still a little bit of the unknown. Well, one of the key battles on the pitch will be between Ivan Tony and Steve Cook. Sam and Adrian caught up with the Bournemouth defender tasked with keeping the Championship's main man quiet in a section we're calling the Cook Report. Ask your parents. It's Thames. And tonight at eight, it's the Cook Report. Great to speak to you, Steve. Uh, after what must have felt a really long slog of a season, playing behind closed doors, 46 games in the Championship, you must be all feeling quite excited. First playoff experience for you at the club and also the return of the fans. Uh, does, it, does it feel exciting? 
Yeah, like you said, um, a hell of a slog this season. Three games a week, and it's been a it's been a grafted. Like you say, with no fans, it's even harder to kind of get that. I wouldn't say motivation, but you know, the games are all about adrenaline, and it doesn't come without the fans. So that's a massive. Uh, Massive plus that we've got on back on, on Monday. And like you say, yeah, very exciting. Um, something that we obviously we, at the start of the season, we wanted to go up top two. Um, but then there was a period of time where we didn't think we would make the playoffs. So, yeah, Monday can't come soon enough. Um, it's been a it's been a long kind of week to, to 10 days, you know, since um, the Stoke game. So, yeah, we want to put that right. And you know, I think the, the form guide goes out the window now in the playoffs and Thankfully, it does because we haven't been playing very well uh, and we can kind of put things right now. Yeah, obviously a lot's happened at the, the club this season. Firstly, for, for someone like yourself who's been there throughout the, the Bournemouth story and, and journey, how much of a wrench was it and how strange has it been not having firstly Eddie about and then Jason Tindall leaving as well? Yeah, like I said, so over the period of time I've been here, nine, ten years, all I've known really uh, is the continuity, the like stability of having the one manager and we lost 11 players in the summer. We lost obviously the manager that's been here for, it seems like forever. And then obviously with, with Jason leaving just over a half of the season, wasn't ideal either, but I think all in all, we've achieved more than we thought we would because it's very difficult for a team coming down from the Premier League, losing all them players, the manager, to then go and kind of give yourself a chance to go up. So, we're happy that we've got a chance uh, and now we're confident that we can go up. Yeah, and I know you've still got the, the, that essence running through the, the the club considering you've still got Perch and um, Big Fletch and people like that around the place. Yeah. But can you give me us some insight into what's changed, I suppose, under Jonathan Woodgate, if anything? Yeah, so if I compare uh, Jonathan to, to Eddie, yeah, like chalk and cheese, you know, it's, um, Woody is... is He's fun around the place, you know, his uh, training's enjoyable. He's, that's not saying, obviously, training and, and the place wasn't a fun place under Eddie, but it was very it was very serious. We we meant business every day. So two different types of uh, approaches from, from these managers. J, JT was kind of in the middle uh, because he was known, obviously, very well as, as an assistant. So he kind of... I don't think he wanted to go over the line from being, you know, the middleman between the players and Eddie at the time to then strict, you can't, there's no messing about with me. You know, it's a very difficult kind of transition, I think, from assistant to, to manager. And he handled it well. It was just unfortunate that we didn't get results on the pitch. But yeah, Woody's, um, he's, he's a great guy. The place is a good place uh, under him at the moment and uh, the players really enjoy playing under Woodgate. I think it's always quite refreshing isn't it to have a new voice sometimes a dressing room needs it doesn't it um after a long time with the same same gaffer obviously slight dipping form towards the end means that you've got Brentford um and of course that means that you yours truly has to has to look after Ivan Tony um so quite quite a challenge um yeah how do you feel about the prospect of of keeping the championship's top man quiet over two legs yeah, look, he's um, obviously a very good, very good striker. He scored a lot of goals. He brings players into the game as well. But hopefully, I can use my experience of of playing in the Premier League and against you know world class strikers. And personally, I'm, I'm really enjoying the battle. Obviously, we played played them twice this year, lost both games, but probably doesn't tell the full story of of the the games itself. 
we managed to keep him quiet in, in both of them games, albeit losing. But it will be um, a great matchup, you know. He he slide there at the spearhead of, of the of the team, and they're they're a team that have got a lot of talented players. So it's all well and good keeping him quiet. We've we've done that quite well in in the previous two games, but like I said, we lost both through conceding to other players. So yeah, great challenge. Really looking forward to coming up against again. He's um, a very confident guy on the pitch, and obviously that that shows with the goals he's got and. Just another another game for for us defenders to try and come out on top, and it'll be it'll be obviously improve a lot as well if we can um, keep him quiet as well. Little reducer first couple of minutes. Hey, look, <laughs> whatever it takes to, uh, <laughs> to to get the win over the two legs. Yeah, I wanted to ask you on that as well. I'll keep it brief though because I know there's very talented players on both teams, but I've enjoyed watching. You play this season and, and obviously I keep an eye on, on Tony when I watch Brentford. Have you got to almost box a little bit clever when you're facing him? Because he's he's very old school. Uh, he, he still can be aggressive, I think, on the pitch and wind centre-halves up. So is it a bit of a throwback for you to maybe, you know, years gone by when you were able to, I suppose, leave one on a centre-forward early in the game? Yeah, do you know what? It's, without fans as well, you you hear a lot more on the pitch. So you you can get in someone's head more because yeah. you hear everything. He does it well. He 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 I think he winds defenders up. Like I say, he's a confident guy. So he doesn't mind what he kind of says on the pitch because he can kind of back it up. But yeah, you because back in the day you could probably leave a little bit on him and, and get away with it and kind of win the battle that way. But like you say, you have to be a little more clever now. I'm not one of them defenders that gets wound up by being called different names and being told I'm rubbish in, in different words and, and things like that. So hopefully, you know, I'm able to keep my head and don't let the emotions of the game take over because mm. in the playoffs, it can be one one bad decision can can change the, the swing of the whole, whole tie. So hopefully we can go about our business. The players that do play that way for us, you know, getting another wine and their teammates hopefully that can uh, pay dividends for us instead of them promises to be an unbelievable two-legged affair that's for sure can't wait to watch it good luck Steve thanks very much thanks for having me on and uh, hopefully next time we speak we, we've won the won the game so. <laughs> Steve Cook there uh, he seems in, in reasonably confident mood Clarkie do you think that that Premier League experience amongst the Bournemouth squad might might tip things in their favour they've got a lot of players who are used to playing in big games um, possibly, I, I suppose. I mean, there's pressure on both sets of players, aren't there? Um, because Brentford want it so badly. You know, mo- the majority of them have never played in the Premier League, so there's that that real desire, and it's how they channel that that pressure that they they put themselves under. Bournemouth players see themselves as Premier League players, and it's a case of we need to get back there. So, so that, yeah. That, I don't think it matters greatly. I, I think Sam was right about the, the, the Brentford being the better team, Bournemouth having you know relying very much on on talent. I, I did enjoy speaking to Steve, particularly the bit the bit about Ivan Tony and and and, and the match up there and and how he can be a little bit chirpy and how behind <laughs> behind closed doors you can hear everything and and that Tony and players like that can can get into players' heads. I love the love that insight. Um, but for me, for me. 
Thomas Frank does hold the, the, the key tactically. Really fascinating, isn't it, that he's changed from 4-3-3 all the way through, and then the last week's 3-4-1-2. It's quite a radical system as well, with a lot of different players like Force and Tony up front. Tony's used to being there on his own. Fosu Henry, central, and he's often been used wide. Norgard in the back three. He's normally a midfielder. And Canyos at wing-back, and he's normally a forward or a wide forward. So there's a lot of players that are in different positions. Could work two ways. Will they be fresh and you know d- deliver a great, great tactical performance? Or in the heat of battle, when the pressure is on, Will they clam up because they're not used to being in those positions and seeing those pictures? But if you're used to playing in a certain position, then you get moved. The pitch looks different, and it and it can it can it can affect players in a different way. Flo, if Bournemouth don't go up, do you think Jonathan Woodgate will still be the manager next season? I don't think so. I think there's going to be a lot of changes in the summer. I mean, they're relying on bouncing back. I think to keep hold a lot of that with keep hold of a lot of their players, Danjuma, Solanke, probably being two key elements of that. I don't necessarily think that Woodgate is the right person for the job long term. I think what he's done at Bournemouth took a lot of people by surprise anyway, because given what happened at Middlesbrough, I don't think many people sort of tipped him for uh, a great job so soon after that sort of experience. But I think, yeah, there's going to be a lot of change and it's interesting to see how they recover from a season without promotion because they've got a lot of big players there on fairly high wage packets as well. So I think there'll be a lot of turnover, um, especially if they don't go up, a lot of players leaving as well as probably a bit of a refresh um, required to adjust things because maybe it's a bit of a reality check for them. And going back up at first push would have been fantastic. But without that, you do have to sort of adjust to a bit more of a reality in the championship. Well, the second championship tie sees Barnsley take on Swansea City. The first leg is at Oakwell at 8.15 on Monday night. They're returning South Wales on Saturday. Um, Sam, this feels like the hipster's choice of tie to me. Swansea, nice passing team. Barnsley, the, the story of the season. Contrasting, contrasting moods around the camps, I would suggest. Barnsley, just glad to be here. Swansea, feeling a bit of pressure? Yeah, I, I would imagine so. Um I can't believe, you know, looking at the, the, the stats, you know, Swansea only lost six of their first 35 league matches, which just seems incredible now considering the run they've been on towards the end of the season where they've lost six of their final 11. So the form is alarming right down there in terms of the, the form guide in the division. Um, but that said, they've done a bit of a job over Barnsley this season, winning both games 2-0 and I think I described it as a, a miserable game or a wretched game or something, the one at Oakwell, where they just, like a number of teams, played Barnsley at their own game a little bit. So I think it's going to be fascinating. I think Swansea under Steve Cooper this year, you know, listening to the supporters especially, it's not the most easy on the eye football. Um, they can roll their sleeves up and it'd be interesting to see what the shape is as well, considering he's gone away, you know, speaking about Brentford there, Clarkey, Swansea were three, five, two, I think for probably 35, 40 games this season, all of a sudden he's changed it. Uh, not 
maybe as consistently as Brentford, but certainly in, in four or five of the last seven games or so, he's gone to a 4-3-3. So I think their setup will be interesting. And the, the other one thing to, to, to mention, when Swansea beat Barnsley, Daryl DK hadn't even arrived at that point. And he's gone on and got nine goals in his 13 starts and, and Lowe and IU have only managed 10 in that time. So it could be decided by which front player turns up, I suppose. Despite what Sam's saying there, Clarkie, and, and despite the fact Swansea only won one of their last five at the end of the regular season, this is the draw they would have picked, isn't it, if, if they had a choice of, of playoff oppo? Uh, probably. I mean, it's, yeah, Barnsley are awkward to play against, we know that, but I don't know. Yeah, Barnsley aren't coming into the playoffs in sensational form, are they either as well? They're, they're slightly patchy. So, yeah, no, they probably would have picked it, but it doesn't mean it's going to be an easy game. I agree with Sam. I think it will come down to the strikers, Ayu and Lowe or Cullen. You know, can they can they get uh, exposed? Those slightly slow centre backs for Barnsley down the sides. Maybe they can, and and DK will be a handful for anyone. Um, first goal might be important. By the way, I was looking at the stats. The two of the best three front runners in the division, Swansea. You know, one twenty drawn, one lost, one from one nil up. Um, incredible and Barnsley have won 19 drawn five and lost none um, when they've taken the lead so so they're, they're teams that are very very good when it comes to game management when they're in a position of ascendancy one other thing to, to, to point out and when I saw them up close recently against Rotherham it just struck me how much it's about the percentage play and long throws and corners and free kicks with Barnsley they've scored a lot of goals from them Swansea have got the best record at defending set plays. So if anyone is sort of equipped to handle the Barnsley style, you think it might be Steve Cooper's men. So I, I would shade Swansea, even though the form's not great. I think they're the slightly more rounded team. And yeah, I, th- I think they'll make it to Wembley, but but who knows? I, for me, I think the only reason I, I doubt Swansea is having seen them a fair bit in that bad run at the end of at the end of the season. There's just a staleness to them and a tiredness to them that I think Barnsley just don't have just because of how athletic and, and fit that they are as a squad and how well they use their subs. I saw Swansea on the last day in that defeat to Watford. And although I think Cooper made five or six changes, so it will be a very different team to the one that we, we see play against Barnsley and a lot of the, the starting eleven weren't playing. They were just so kind of exhausted and, and yeah, just looked really stale. And I think Lowe and Ayu's form, like um, like Sam mentioned, hasn't been great towards the end. I think Ayu's still not fit either from that hamstring injury. So I feel like they're lacking in energy and a desire and Barnsley might just be able to kind of take advantage of that. Mm, Valerin Ismail been uh, trying to heap the pressure on this one. He said, when I came, I recognised three or four teams. I say they have to be in first two places, and Swansea were among those teams. I mean, it doesn't add up in terms of the maths, but we uh, we get your point. I just wonder, Sam, whether it's now or never for Barnsley. If they don't go up this time, are their players going to get cherry picked, and and they might struggle to to match what they've done so far this season, or is this just the start of the the Barnsley project, which will end in the Premier League in a couple of years' time? Yeah, yeah, it's probably a it's probably their opportunity now. Maybe um, DK is certainly not going to be there, and he, he's been fundamental, I think, to this um, this charge really uh, in the last couple of months. I would imagine Moet will get cherry picked as well. I think he's done enough in a Barnsley shirt to maybe go to one of the top 
championship clubs in terms of wages or maybe one of the promoted sides. I think he's probably been been that good. So, so yeah, it, they'll probably lose a few, but people are probably going to want to come and play for, for, for this manager and, and um, you know, be a part of this energetic, youthful, exuberant side who have really taken a championship by surprise. So I'm sure, sure if they don't make it this year, they'll have another good crack next year, but it, it potentially will be with some new additions and, and having lost some of their better players from this year. Yeah, mow it out of contract at the end of June. So you'd think they'd probably have to go up in order to keep him. Get yourself more Barnsley-flavoured insights over at The Athletic as Phil Buckingham spoke with Maz Anderson. And if you're not already an Athletic subscriber, we've got a special offer. Go to theathletic.com slash league show to sign up. Uh, let's get some odds on those ties then, courtesy of Paddy Power slash producer Abby. Uh, I think just just take it route one, Abby. Let's go win-lose draw on both the games, shall we? Win-lose draw. So Barnsley at Swansea, we'll start there. That's where we were t- just talking about. Barnsley favourites here, 11 to 10. Swansea, 14 to 5 with the draw coming in at 2 to 1. We've mentioned first goal being important and we mentioned Daryl DK a lot. So it'll be unsurprising to hear that you can get uh, Daryl DK as the first goal scorer at 6.5 to 1 in in that game. As for Bournemouth versus Brentford, uh, it is Brentford who are the favourites here, even though they are the away side. Bournemouth coming in at 7-4 with Brentford 8-5 and the draw 21-10. Good stuff. All right, League One, next. Uh, Harry, is there any truth in the rumours that you're off to Spain in the summer? Uh, 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 sorry, me, uh, me no hablo inglés. Uh, what about one of the Manchester clubs? Oh, uh, well, you know, it's... Uh... Well, Harry, what about my source who says you're keen to stay at Spurs? <laughs> uh, can we keep the questions sensible, please? Kane's future at Spurs remains uncertain, but you're guaranteed to get money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourfold acre lets you down. Paddy Power! Max free bet £10, mid odds 1-5 to five on each leg. Online exclusive exclude shop bets and enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League Show with Matt Davis-Adams. A pair of really juicy League One playoff semis in prospect, not just because the tangerines are involved in one. Uh, That's the one that we'll start with, Oxford versus Blackpool. First leg at the Kassam Stadium on Tuesday night. They'll do it again on the seaside on Friday. Uh, Blackpool won 2-0 at Oxford in March. It was 0-0 at Bloomfield Roads. Gary Medine might be fit again for Blackpool. Uh, Oxford have completed the permanent signing of Marcus McGuane from Forest after a fruitful loan spell. Um, this is this is an attractive-looking tie, Clark, in, in terms of the way these two teams have entertained us in League One this season, I think. Yeah. It, it, Oxford have just done brilliantly to get there, haven't they, from where they were. It's been a, a remarkable charge, but it's been two charges, hasn't it? They, they, they flew up the league and then they hit the wall, and you thought, "Oh well, that's them done." And then they've come back again, play, you know, basically playing no defensive players. So really brave surge towards the the top guys, and 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 yeah, they deserve their place in the, in the playoffs. But they're coming up against a stingy Blackpool team. I mean, I don't think they've conceded in their last four. They've got the most clean sheets. Um. They, yeah, they concede a lot fewer. It's harder to score against Blackpool than it is to score against Oxford. So, so it's going. To, it's going to be tough. And obviously, we we can see there from those results, Oxford didn't score against them across 180 minutes of the league season. And and that's one one little doubt I have over Oxford is that they're far better at disposing of the weaker teams than they are the best. Um, they've only won one against the top nine 
all season. Which So to get in the playoffs, beating just one team in the top nine, home or away, is just incredible. But yeah, they come up against a difficult Blackpool team. Um, you've got two good strikers, Yates and Sims, and, and, and a cracking organisation. And again, it's, it's like a theme, isn't it? Throughout this show and throughout the playoff teams, they've made a formation change as well lately. Um, gone to gone to five five three two when they had a back four for for, for much of the campaign. So, so yeah, um, I I fancy Blackpool because because they're the more solid team. But um, but it should be a, a really competitive tie. Flo, I really like clubs throwing shade at one another ahead of playoff games. We heard from Valerian Ismail. I noticed, and I don't know if this has always been their bio, but Blackpool's Twitter bio at the moment is official Twitter account of 1953 FA Cup victors and record five-time playoff promotion winners, Blackpool FC. Um, yeah, probably won't mean much psychologically, but well done, admin. I enjoy that kind of thing. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I do think their amazing record in the playoffs does give them a, a slight advantage. And there's not only that, but there's also some history because in 2007, when Simon Grayson was manager, they also finished third in League One and got promoted to the championship. So there's a lot of kind of good luck and good juju uh, behind them. And I've watched them a lot this season. I've really enjoyed watching them. And I, I do think, like like Adrian said, with those proven goal scorers, I think they, they definitely have the edge on Oxford. It will be perhaps the final where we see them face a bit more of a matchup. But I mean, we'll get onto that in a second. But yeah, I think, I think Blackpool are, are heavy favourites in this one. Sam, Carl Robinson, we know he's not going to be on the touchline. Is he going to be feeling jittery because of what happened last year? How much of the, of, of Oxford's preparations will, will be kind of tainted by that? Or is it just something that's not even going to be mentioned because it's not relevant to this season? No, I, I think they'll probably be better off having having suffered that disappointment now that they've made it. Um, I think it'd be a nice, it's been a nice surprise probably for the supporters to force their way in there. One, you know, six of the last seven games, I think collectively we'd probably written them off around about a month ago, six weeks ago. So they've done well to get there. Yeah, I think having been through it last year, uh, won the semi final where they didn't play particularly well against Portsmouth, um, got an opportunity to rectify it this year against, you know, a team that are going to be strong favourites in Blackpool. I've got a funny feeling that Oxford with the goals, um, the Cavalier approach. It could make for a really interesting encounter. I hope it does. I hope there's going to be loads of goals. And yeah, I just fancy Oxford in this. You know, they've scored four or more times. Um, so they've scored four or more seven times this season. So not even Peterborough can match that. So they are the the entertainers coming up against a, a side, as Adrian says, that are really measly. But, you know, I think this approach that Carl Robinson's gone with the last few weeks has been fantastic to watch and I hope it continues in the in the playoffs and he doesn't try and shore things up by maybe bringing Gorin back into the midfield or, or you know, maybe some more defensively minded fullbacks because it's just been brilliant. Um, so I think they could get, they could get burnt if he tries to shut the game down. I hope it's going to be free scoring and, uh, and hopefully we get pure entertainment. Been lovely to see your evolution as a broadcast journalist, Sam, these past few years, because you just paid a lot of compliments to Oxford in one go and, and your face didn't turn sour once. That is utter professionalism. <laughs> well, um, it's, so better for them, it's better for them to lose at Wembley, isn't it, than <laughs> in the semi? Again, yeah, yeah, very good. <laughs> so the winner of Oxford versus Blackpool will face the winner of Lincoln City versus Sunderland, which has a biblical feel to it. It's just like David and Goliath, only this time... David won. Oh, I know. I heard it too. 
Here's some music. Nobody better to give us the Lincoln perspective than Impin Chief Michael Appleton. I caught up with a Lincoln gaffer earlier. Michael, first of all, how's training been this week? Presumably everybody's very excited. Yeah, no, it's been good. It's uh, been strange, actually, because we've not um, we've not had the privilege of a, a free week from a game for a while. So, um, yeah, to have that opportunity to get on the grass and work on one or two things with the players has been pretty good. Have you outperformed the expectations to, to reach the playoffs this season or, or was that the target that, that you kind of set back at the start of the campaign? Well, interestingly... Um, the chairman's already answered this question for me. I don't know if you've seen, he's come out and made my life very, very easy because he's come out and said, we've got a budget that's well and truly in the bottom half of the table. So, but no, all honesty, to be fair, Matt, last year was the first year, obviously the club had had in League One for over 20 years. And it was about making sure that we retained our position last season, which we did. Uh, it was a bit weird how it all ended, obviously with the pandemic. But this year, it was just trying to make sure we finished in the top half of the table. So, I think anything 12th upwards, you know, would have been a, a reasonable uh, position for us with our second season. And and then always looking at, you know, forward from then and trying to progress and get better. I think what happened, obviously, we, we, we put a really, really young squad together who, you know, teams didn't know too much about and started well and momentum took us to, to you know, some good places. I know it's been the same for everybody, but but the fact that you've done it in these circumstances, which everybody's been battling against all season, that just magnifies the achievement, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's one of them where, you know, you look, you look at the fact that obviously we haven't got any fans at this moment in time and we've got such a young group. You know, I, I, I'm a big believer and I've said it, you know, and people can look back, I've been saying it since the first couple of games of the season. I think some teams miss out on having the fans in the stadium more than most. You know, I think historically, you know, the, the Lincoln fans really get behind their group. And, um, you know, even when it's not going particularly well, I remember my, my, my first sort of uh, get watching the game here. I'd, I'd, um, I'd met the, the sort of chairman and the chief exec and the board the, the previous day and obviously agreed to take the job. And my first game to watch was actually Oxford United at home here. And, and uh, I think it was, a, it was either 5 or 6 nil defeat. And I'm sat there in the, state, in the stands thinking, Bloody hell, you know, is that paint, is that uh, ink dry on that paper yet? Um, but the, the fans were brilliant. They, they, they stayed with the team, they got behind them and, and um, you know, right to the final whistle. And, and that really impressed me. And I do believe that, you know, if we would have had the fans in the stadium this year, they certainly would have helped us rather than been a hindrance that some clubs might feel. So you'll be obviously thrilled that you're going to have just over 3,000 in at Sinsel Bank against Sunderland. I just wonder how it might affect the way you manage the game from the touchline. Because obviously everybody's used to the fact now that, you know, you can be heard. There's no excuse for your wingers and your fullbacks to say, sorry, Gaffer, I couldn't hear you amongst the crowd. That's going to change again, isn't it? Yeah, I, I must admit, though, um, I'm not really, a, you know, a screamer, a shouter, a rant, a raver on the side and, I'm not that vocal. I know some managers are, and so it helps them. I'm a big believer in getting the work done during the week on the grass so the players are fully prepared and they know exactly what you want from them. And if you need to change things, you either make substitutions or get your message across at half-time, etc. Nothing will change much from my point of view. You know, I might want to give a bit of a rollicking out to one of the players You know, after 10 minutes or so, and he might choose to ignore me because obviously fans are in the stadium now. So... <laughs> From that point of view, it might work from a player's benefit. But yeah, I think um, from my point of view, I'm just desperate to get them back in and 
get the players feeling that buzz and excitement that we had previous. You've, you've been promoted before, obviously, with Oxford, but but the playoffs is a different way of doing it. How do you approach the, the semis? Because obviously it's a two-legged tie and, and it's not the kind of thing that you come up against often in League One. Do you, is it literally just the old cliche of we'll deal with the first leg and then we'll worry about the second? Or are you kind of planning for the tie as a whole? Our focus is just wait, win two games of football, you know, and, and that is it. And if we don't win the first one, then obviously we'll look at the second one and, and know that, you know, hopefully we're still in a, a tie and we've got an opportunity. But, you know, that the plan will be very much to, to win both games. And then there's no, you don't have to worry about whether, you know, you drew one game or, you know, you've got to score two goals or you've got to worry about what the opposition do. You know, the players will be sent out there on, on Wednesday evening to, to win that game and uh, and then it'll be exactly the same when we go up to the stadium like Fourth time that you played them this season, those previous three meetings, have they formed a lot of the basis of your preparation for this match or, or do you kind of think that the, the circumstances of this one mean that, that it's it's something different to prepare for? It probably is something different uh, only because of the amount of experience that's in the, in the Sunderland dressing room. You know, obviously they beat us 4-0 early on in the season in a game where we probably and, and could have gone two or three up before they'd scored. Um, wasn't to be. And obviously, you know, they played well on the day and it was one of Leeds' first games in charge. The other two meetings were very close, very tight. Could have gone either way. Uh, we felt, you know, we got stronger in both of those games the longer the game went on. I can't see them changing too much in terms of, you know, the way they approach it. Obviously, the personnel may change. Um, so I think it's quite a good thing for both teams that we've played each other three times already. I don't think there's going to be a massive difference between the two teams. Uh, I think it'd be you know quite a tight affair. Probably will be in the other one as well with Blackpool and and Oxford. So yeah, we we just need to play our part. You know, I, I feel very very comfortable with the players if we're, we're still in games in around the 70th mark because. After 70 minutes or so, when the pitch really opens up and the game becomes big, we've got some young players who've got good athleticism. Yeah, that's going to be key, isn't it? And you've obviously had key players out with injury at various points of this season, but but it does it does feel like you've got the bulk of the squad ready to go. And are you confident that their fitness levels are, are where they need to be, given just how grueling this this season's been? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, time will tell, but we do do feel that. Yeah, hopefully that that will give us an opportunity to be to be fresh and, and 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 ready for it. Not just from a physical point of view, from a mental point of view. We've, like you've said, we we had a stage sort of going into the Oxford game just before we had to shut the club down because of the COVID situation, where potentially six or seven, you know, normal first eleven starters um, weren't able to play, whether that's through COVID or injury. So um, we've had it tough, but listen, we're no different to to other teams in terms of what they've had to do throughout the season. The only issue that we've had is because obviously, you know, we're not one of the, the, the biggest in terms of budget. Obviously, because of that, we're a smaller squad. So that's hard and we've had to work through that. And um, it's a credit to all the players that certainly have been part of what we've done this year because, you know, we've got numerous players who've had to sort of fill in and play various positions. Finally, have you have you allowed yourself personally some time to to reflect and, and feel a sense of pride on what you've done this season? Because we mentioned the circumstances, but I know that, that you battled COVID for a while. You've got a young baby as well. It's been it's been really hard graft, essentially, hasn't it? But you're, you're what 
three games away from from the the peak of your career. Yeah, no, it, it, the honest answer is probably not. But you're right. I'm sure at some point I will, regardless whether we were successful or not, uh, because you know from where we where we've come as a football club four or five years ago and competing in the in the national league to to competing to get out of the the league one into the championship is is a great achievement for everybody. So the biggest thing for us, Matt, is that if if we are unfortunate and we don't sort of get through these next two, three games. We just got to make sure that, you know, we try and stay consistent and consistently compete at the top end of this league. And the only way we do that is, you know, by bringing good players into the club and trying to improve the finances and the budget. And, you know, I'm sure that will happen over the, the next two or three seasons. Michael Appleton, Lincoln manager there. Um They've done well, obviously, to to get to this stage flow, have Lincoln. But at the same time, they were in the mix for automatic for for a fairly long time. So it's not as if they're going in thinking, hey, we're plucky old Lincoln, just happy to be here kind of thing. Yeah, and I think when you listen to his interview, I think there's a sense of kind of what might have been if they hadn't have had to suffer the difficulties that they had this season. And I think with the, the age of the squad, there's a very exciting future and it's not... I don't think there's too much pressure on them riding on this because they know that they're probably going to get another shot at automatic promotion next season, which is quite nice because it's sort of, you know, there's nothing to lose. They can go into it. Whereas obviously with Sunderland, it's the complete opposite. There's so much pressure on them. There always is. They, they're dying to get out of this division. The fans have kind of lost all hope. There's tons of players out of, out of contract. And yeah, I think, I think Lincoln go into it with, with, with absolutely no pressure and, and, that I think that will really benefit them. Yeah, Sunderland and pressure, very much natural bedfellows, uh, Adrian. But they've also got the experience advantage, haven't they? So maybe that will work in their favour. They've been to Wembley once this season, of course. Yeah, I guess so. Um, but there's a lot to be said for the excitement of youth and the fearlessness of, of younger players. And, and if Brennan Johnson and Morgan Rogers are, are fit enough to start, that's a very exciting lone duo that... that, that that could cause them all sorts of problems. Um, no, I, th- I think both teams have had good campaigns. I mean, Sunderland have been so so good on the road, only lost three, I think, of, of 23. But you do look at their goal-scoring department and you think, well, if Charlie White's not doing it, who's going to? Um, I, the next closest is, is Ledbetter, who I think takes penalties, and he's on seven. White's on 25. So... So yeah, they they'll be looking for other guys like a McGeady or a Jordan Jones or a Lyndon Gooch to maybe step up across across this tie. I think it's going to be really good. I'm going to, I'm going to be at the first leg, um, so I'm excited about it. And um, yeah, I'm just interested to see see if Lincoln really go at it with with the younguns and to see what the team is as well because it's been a while since since Appleton had had a, a full complement of players to to choose from. For the, a good example is Scully who finished the season really well, has been scoring loads of goals. But if Brennan, Johnson and, and Morgan Rogers are fit to play, does he make it? Or or, or does he go even bolder and, and pick all three? So, yeah, look out for the team sheets uh, in this one. That'll give you an indication of, of where Appleton's uh, at. 
Uh, Sam, in terms of, of Lee Johnson, I guess we can't really give a full assessment of the job that he's done at Sunderland until the end of the playoffs. But one thing he has done that's been vital is, is to reintegrate Aidan McGeady, top of the League One assist charts with 14, being linked with a move to, to Peterborough in the Sunday papers. But the fact that he's been able to get him back and influence in the team surely speaks well of, uh, of Lee Johnson. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, the, the stats have been incredible since he's been reintroduced. You know, along with those goals that that Clarkie spoke of from from Charlie White, they've been the the main reason that they were able to to push on and have that great run. They've since slipped, but I think a lot of that has probably been due to well, some of it's been due to the circumstances with the player availability. I mean, he's really really been hamstrung. Um, excuse the, the the phrase by by the injuries to the defensive players, and and still as we go into these playoffs. There's a little bit of uncertainty as to who's going to be available. I, I think, you know, above probably the rest of the teams we've already discussed, there's probably an argument to Sunderland changing their shape, given how bad the form's been, changing the the formation and maybe getting an extra centre-half in there, as, as strange as that sounds. I just think in a two, with Luco 9 being one of those two, it's been a real struggle in the last few weeks. Um, by all accounts, Bailey Wright's been a little bit off-colour as well. So... They've got some defensive players that are already and available going into these games. So maybe there could be a shift in, in style um, for these encounters. I think it's going to be ever so tight. I, I really do. I think if Clarkie was going to be at the second leg, he could be in for a long night because I think it could go all the way to the spot kicks. And I wouldn't be surprised if Sunderland were to win at Lincoln and Lincoln were to win at Sunderland because... In my mind, Sunderland can go away and be pragmatic and close games down and Lincoln a much better away from home, best away record in a division because of that flair that, that Clarkie described in, in Rodgers and and Johnson and people like that. They're flying machines, especially especially Johnson on the, on the right. So I could see it being a goal either way and potentially going all the way into the dead of night. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to get to the playoffs and to almost go up automatically having the home record that Lincoln have is it just would is bonkers, really. They've lost as many as they've, as they've won. Uh, nine wins, nine defeats, ranking 14th in that home league table. So, so yeah, Sam's probably onto something there. Maybe back the away wins. Well, that allows me to beautifully segue into the odds with Paddy Power and producer Abby. Away wins in that Lincoln-Sunderland tie, Abby. That's what we're going to look at first in order to keep some consistency. Continuity, yes. Sunderland are the favourites in this one, very <laughs> well, narrowly. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. You, can, you, you can correct me, that's fine. I will yeah, correct yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, Sunderland yeah, that's are the award-nominated podcaster. <laughs> uh, Sunderland are the favourites, narrowly, narrowly. 13-8 to eight, um, to at Sinsall Bank with uh, Lincoln 7-4, to four, draw coming in at 2-1. to one. As for the other tie, uh, Oxford are again um, are the favourites of the home side here. 7-5 to five, uh, for them. Blackpool are 19-10 and the draw is 11-5. to five. It was a little right, Scouse accent. On yeah, that. it's literally yeah. not possible for me to say Blackpool without going a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. A little surprise. You do know that Blackpool's not in Liverpool. Well, I know, but it's sort of similar. <laughs> right then, regular listeners will have guessed where we're going next. Top marks if you said League Two. 
This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Uh, before we get to the playoff ties, a little bit of League Two news that caught my eye. Rob Kelly's turned down the chance to manage Barrow on a permanent basis, having performed miracles to keep them up. Uh, Adrian, this strikes me as a big old blow for, for Barrow. They went through managers at a rate of knots last season and they found one who could get them winning and he's not going to be there next to him. <laughs> yeah, he, he was the one sort of consistent fullback option for them, wasn't he? That whoever they seemed to appoint and it didn't work, he always turned back to back to Rob. So, um, yeah, look, disappointing for Barrow, but, but at least they've got time, haven't they? There's no panic now to go out and find the right person. And they'll just have to, yeah, assess their options and, and maybe just look for look for the characteristics that Rob Kelly has, and and look for those in in potential candidates because you know in the main he did a cracking job, didn't he? Yeah, it'll be a really good job for somebody. Uh, to those League Two playoff ties, then we'll start with Newport against Forest Green Rovers. Uh, the Rodney Parade pitch could never be described as Forest Green, but Rovers will be playing on it on. Tuesday night. Um, Flo, the, the first leg here has been switched to Rodney Parade because the pitch is being dug up and replaced soon after it. And and that's got to be a blow, hasn't it? And now that we're going to have spectators in the ground for these matches, you'd much rather have the second leg at home, surely? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's going to be a, a huge advantage to, to all the sides that are playing those second legs at home. But it's something they've had to deal with the whole entire season. It's been an issue, even from pre-season onwards. So I suppose... It's one of those things that maybe they should have expected something to possibly go wrong with that pitch as it hasn't really supported them very much throughout the campaign. But yeah, there's there's not much they can do really. And perhaps they thought that they were going to go up automatically because they were in such a good position at one point and then it wouldn't have been an issue, the, the planning with it being dug up because dug up the job would have been done and things haven't quite worked out that way. But I think they still put themselves in a very good position. They had a very good, strong end to the season. I think Flynn named the same team five games in a row at one point and make any changes. They had a, a few clean sheets as well. I think six clean sheets and just conceded three goals towards the end of the season. So they're looking very strong. And if they give themselves enough of a lead in that first leg, then the second leg not being at home won't be an issue. Might be without their captain, Joss Labadee. How's this for a gross-sounding injury, as described by Mike Flynn? It's such an innocuous injury. The stud has gone through the skin, but they can't stop the bleeding, so it looks like it's gone through to the muscle. Ouch. Uh, he'd be a big loss for them, Sam. And, and we've spoken about pressure on Newport. You know, beaten finalists in, in 2019 always. Uh, Mike Flynn seems to be feeling the heat a little bit. So it's uh, it's a tie that, you know, they need to get through and, and need to go all the way. You would think if this group to get, have another crack at it next season? 
Yeah, and, and and he will be a big miss because he's kind of the uh, the the muscle, the bite in that midfield, um, where they've got you know some real quality footballers through the the spine of that team. And you know, going back prior to Mark Cooper being sacked from Forest Green, this probably would have been a really easy on the eye game of football. But I, I think I spoke about it on last week's pod that there seems to have been a bit of a change at Forest Green in in their setup. So I would expect Newport, as they did, I think, in the, the league encounters, to have more of the the ball, even more so now that, that Jimmy Ball's taken charge. Just a bit, bit of insight on that. Um, Mark Cooper's last game was Walsall away, a 2-1 defeat. They made 433 completed passes at Oldham last time out, just 154. So I think that highlights that there has been a bit of a change in, in Forest Green's setup. Um, and obviously, I think across both these two teams, if Jamil Matt, obviously, who's played for, for both sides in this encounter, is missing, um, there's just a lack of goals, really. Lack of firepower um, between the two clubs. Aaron Collins comes in in a bit of form, three in his last two, 10 for the season. So he's kind of Forest Green's man. And I'd probably... I'd probably look at set pieces as being massive in this. Both of them right up there. Newport have got 17 across the season. Forest Green actually out, outdoing them with 21. So again, it's hard to separate them because there's been so much inconsistencies with um, Forest Green and Newport have had such a streaky season. Brilliant uh, out of the uh, traps and then fell off a cliff and have been able to rally in the in the later weeks. But but yeah, I think really narrow Um and probably a, a goal either way is going to decide it. Yeah, Jamil Matt won't be available because of that gruesome hand injury. Seems ironic to me, Clarky, that uh, Forest Green Rovers appointed a ball and now they have less of it during the games. Who you got for this one? <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. No, it's um, it's, it's it's a really good point that, that Sam made. Uh, Sam made, and yeah, a lot on a bad pitch, you know, allowing Newport to have it and then. Hitting them hard and fast on the break might 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 suit them. Obviously, they won there earlier in the season, didn't they? Forest Green. So, um, no, I, I agree with Sam. To be honest, I think relatively low scoring over over two legs, and yeah, I, I can see set pieces absolutely deciding it. Yeah, up top there there is yeah. I mean, you've got two youngsters. There's Josh Davison on loan from Charlton for Forest Green, having to do a job, having to do a man's job at the business end of the season. Can he make a name for himself? Lewis Collins, um, he's only 20. For Newport, he'll probably partner Amund up front. Maybe he could be a wild card for them. But but yeah, more than likely, it'll be it'll be dour and attritional over the two legs. Two brothers going head-to-head in that one as well. Lewis Collins for Newport and Aaron Collins, the FGR striker too. The final time we're going to preview is Tranmere versus Morecambe. The first leg takes place at Prenton Park on Thursday with the return on Sunday lunchtime. Joining us now to preview the tie is the Shrimps main man, Carlos Mendes Gomez. Carlos, first of all, I just wonder how training's been in the build-up to this game because you've got a lot of time to prepare for one match, which is not something that you've been used to this season. Yeah, um, I think that we're all looking forward to it. Obviously, we missed on autos by by one point. But the season being overall the one to remember, and obviously we can actually get that that win at Wembley would be massively good. I just want um, you to you to take everybody through your story because it, it's an amazing one from from Senegal to Spain to to sunny Morecambe. Can can you tell us a little bit about about your journey in in life and football? 
Yeah, um, my dad um, came to Spain. Well, he went to Spain when uh, when he was young. He met my mom in Senegal, and um, in 2000, he decided to 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 find a place for me and my mom to come over. We went to Lanzarote, where I was raised. Obviously, football in Lanzarote wasn't as good as maybe Madrid, because obviously there's not big clubs in Lanzarote. So I had to go to live with my cousin in, in Madrid, just looking for a team and chasing the dream. And luckily enough, uh, I signed for Getafe my first year. Second year, I signed for Atletico Madrid. But then for my dad and my family, uh, he believed that the best choice was to, to move to England. Obviously, for me, it was... It wasn't the best news at the moment, and um, but I knew that it was the best thing for the family, so we had to come over to, to Manchester in 2015. And the first year, I find it tough to find a club um, because I couldn't speak any English, and, and obviously it was tough. I didn't know how the English football system worked at the time, so I just had to, to find a club the following year, playing non-league in the Northwest Counties for West Disney and Cholton. And after that, um, I played for the college at the same time. And to to also get um a diploma for myself and luckily enough I had someone at the college that knew that had contact with Morecambe and that's how it came about to actually go on trials. Um, and where's got the better beach, Morecambe or Lanzarote? <laughs> I think that everyone will agree with me on this one, and I think Lanzarote. <laughs> what about the team though i mean this is from the outside looking in carlos this is a really exciting team like you're you're an exciting player you score goals from the wing you've got diarago you've got um aaron wildig goals assists coming from all over the pitch must be must be pretty fun to play in this team right yeah absolutely i believe i believe that um it's probably the best team that that we've been in recent years obviously you've got experienced players that I've done it in, in the higher leagues. And um, I think that, that that mix of youth players that want to move forward and with the experience that we got, it's a good mix. And obviously, we, me as a young player, I learned a lot from the experienced boys. And yeah, I, I believe that the team is, is unbelievable this season. Carlos, where has your individual form come from this season in terms of your numbers, your goals, your assists? Has it been hard work last summer? Has it been the impact of Derek Adams or did something just change in your mentality? I think it's, it's a bit of both. Um, I knew that um, I had to get some stats up in a way of people noticing noticing me as a forward player. Um, obviously, the confidence that, that the gaffer implement in the team and the mentality played a big part as well. And um, yeah, off-season as well, I tried to improve certain areas which I lacked a bit um, before before the the gaffer came, and also the teammates. Um, I think that when everyone believes in you, everyone wants you to actually do well and move forward. It makes everything a lot easier on the pitch. I just wanted to ask um, Carlos what what you think about the playoffs. Obviously, someone who's not been playing English football for that long. What's your opinion of this sort of lottery, as some people would call it? I believe it's it's a for me it's a great experience to actually experience the playoffs. I've never been involved in one, and being involved in my breakout season it means a lot. Obviously, I would like to play at Wembley. It's a it's a massive stadium with beautiful facilities, and and obviously a lot of players that that grew up looking up to step that pitch, and hopefully I could actually um, do the same. And who knows, maybe lift it there. 
Carlos, was there a, was there an English club that you followed when you were watching the, the English game from afar? And is that the dream to one day turn out for them or even get the opportunity to play against them? Yeah, Man United is, was my team growing up. Um, obviously, I believe that he's the best team in, in England. Always <laughs> been the best team. <laughs> Maybe some people wouldn't agree with me on this one, but yeah. <laughs> and for me, it would mean a lot to actually, you know, maybe one day play against them. And and obviously, I, I still follow them closely and check their scores because it's where my heart is, really. Carlos, finally then, you've been linked with a with a move away. Is that something that you have to think about seriously if you don't go up or, or are you just focusing on the playoffs for now? Um, to be honest, I just I just want to play. I'm just enjoying my moment at Morgan right now. Uh, you never know what the future holds. But, um, my main focus is with Morecambe and obviously for me and for the community of Morecambe will be massively actually promoted and that's my main focus right now but look, we wish you the best of luck with Morecambe but I think you can do Madrid Morecambe Manchester United pretty easily it sounds doable yeah. to me um, Carlos thanks so much for joining us today all the best for the playoffs it's been my pleasure thank you very much Carlos Mendes Gomez there Amazing story. I mean, what what a journey he's been on already. Um, We haven't really spoken about Tranmere on this pod, Flo, since they ditched Keith Hill. It's kind of become a bit of a theme late on in the season, hasn't it? If you're going for the playoffs, but you're kind of stumbling there. We saw Forrest Green do it and and get rid of the manager with some games left. But this feels fairly extraordinary to not let the man who got you there try and finish the job. Yeah, bizarre. I mean, the last year and a bit for Tranmere has been pretty chaotic so I suppose why not continue that trend but yeah it does seem it does seem really really strange and I mentioned Brentford's sort of trauma earlier and I think even though Tranmere have used what happened last season in getting relegated and this sort of chip on their shoulder to motivate them I do think you almost got to move beyond that at some point. And I think this is just a really bad decision. They Eventually, you need some consistency to get you somewhere, but they don't seem to want that. And I just don't get why you're so close to potentially giving yourself a chance to reset and finally move on from what happened with fans back as well. It just makes no sense to me. I just really, really don't understand it, why you would just shoot yourselves in the foot like that. Only won two of their last 11, but he got them from 13th when he took over into the playoffs. Whose reputation has done more damage by this, do you think, Adrian? The the Tranmere higher-ups or or Keith Hill himself? It depends what happens, I think. (laughs) If they go up, then then the Palios family are are, are, are heroes, aren't they? They've had the foresight to to make the change. If if they blow it and they, they lose to Morecambe, then, then they'll be berated and and, and and understandably so. It is brutal. Uh, I got the impression Keith Hill almost talked himself out of the job by revealing that the players weren't really together. He, he described a sort of a, a, a bad mood at the club. Individuals, certain individuals maybe causing problems or not, not backing him behind the scenes. So it's definitely fragmented, but it, it's still a... It's still a big old call, isn't it? Because I just think Keith Hill is a bit like that. He, he's quite confrontational. I think he loves that. Feeds off it. He's an old-fashioned sort of football man that doesn't mind a tear-up, whether it's with opposition teams or or his own players. And and I get the impression that, that there's a slight clash of personalities there. Um, we shall see. But Tranmere, I mean, they haven't scored more than one goal in the last 10 games. Morecambe have done it 
five times in their last six games, scored more than one goal. So, so yeah, you, you look at the respective attacks and you think Morecambe have, uh, have got a good chance here. Yeah, despite the kind of size of the club, Sam, I, I make Morecambe favourites here. What about you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think brilliant end to the season, 15 points from their last six games. I think vastly improved throughout the campaign defensively. I think partly that's due to Leatheran in goal. He's got three clean sheets in his last four after they only had two in the opening 14 games. So I think that side of it has really improved and we're seeing some fantastic attacking play, some brilliant goals in the last few few weeks. Stockton's always been a little bit of um, the bridesmaid really and probably played an unselfish role. He's got 13 goals himself. Uh, Mendes Gomez has obviously been electric with, with, with 15. So yeah, going forward, despite having even less of the ball of the revamped Forest Green Rovers, this team don't have any of the ball, but they're comfortable within that. They're comfortable defending their box and letting the forward players get on with it. So yeah, I completely agree. That said, I could imagine some supporters being in Prenton Park uh, Ian Dawes back in charge, who had five wins from five before. Um, they played the diamond system, if memory serves me right, um, were pretty free scoring during that period. They could get, they could have everyone back on side. It could prove to be an amazing decision from Mark and, and Nicola Palios. So, so yeah, it's it's still in the balance. But when you look at the form, you look at, I, I think despite them falling away, Morecambe in the last couple of weeks, I, st- I still believe they'll have a great spirit amongst the group to get the job done. So I, I'd expect them to get through. But yeah, I, I expect Tranmere to put up a good fight um, nonetheless. What's the deal odds-wise, Abby, with those two ties? Incredibly, despite the fact that Morecambe are the favourites to win uh, promotion, it is Tranmere who are the favourites in this specific game. They are 13-10 to 10 with Morecambe 2-1, to 1, the draw coming in at 9-4. to 4. Uh, I do feel that we need to you know, back our man, Carlos Mendes Gomez, to be the first goal scorer. Uh, he is not the favourite, actually. He, uh, he comes in at 11-2. to 2. Favourite is actually James Vaughan at 4-1 to 1 to be the first goal scorer. As for the other game, Newport versus Forest Green at Newport, 7-5. Forest Green 2-1 to one, and the draw is also 2-1. to one. Lovely stuff. You can find out these prices and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply and when the fun stops, stop. That'll just about do it for us today. Before we go, though, let's have best and worst playoff memories. Please can be the best or worst or both, whatever you fancy. Flo, I think I can make a reasonable guess at what your best ever playoff memory would be. Yeah, pretty easy guess. 2014, QPR derby, Bobby Zamora, Wembley. Worst, equally very simple, 2003, Millennium Stadium against Cardiff, in Cardiff. Drove up with all my family on the day. Was so excited. I think I was like seven or eight. It was like most exciting thing ever. And QPR conceded very late on in extra time, 1-0, losing to Cardiff. And I cried the entire car journey home. And it was like one of the worst days of my life. So, yeah, the highs and lows, pretty simple. Clarky, did you ever play in them? No, no, never. No, I didn't have the longest uh, football league career, but no, never made the playoffs, sadly. So, um, yes, yeah, so no no experience of it, which is, you know, still still sort of winds me up a little bit to this day. Um, but but no, I've definitely got a best moment from from my broadcasting career. Um, I was commentating or co-commentating for local radio, South End versus Wickham, League Two playoff final, 2015. 
our mate, friend of the show, Joe Jacobson. I think he'd stuck stuck a free kick in the top corner and, and South End. This was in extra time and and it was literally there were twenty seconds on the clock and, and Joe Piggott came up trumps, scored a lovely little little left footed drive into the corner. And yeah, just to sort of commentate on that moment and see the you know, the I don't know how many South End fans were, were there that day, you know, it could have been twenty thousand going absolutely bananas. It was it was just awesome and then and then there was a, a great shootout as well where Dan Bentley was brilliant for South End. And I, remember, I don't know if you remember the pictures of um, Phil Brown arm round Gareth Ainsworth as they were taking the penalties. It was yeah, it was one of those days where you're just really, really pleased to be there there to experience it. So yeah, that was that was definitely my best memory. Yeah, I felt a bit for Gareth Ainsworth there because he probably didn't want Phil Brown's arm around him at that point, but it would have looked incredibly churlish had he, um, <laughs> had he just pushed it up and pushed him away. Um, Sam, you got you got plenty to pick from supporter-wise, playing-wise, being there-wise. I know you were at, at all three finals last season, weren't you? What was What's your best and worst memories? I'm not going to take everyone through my playoff heartache story for the 7,000th time. Um, I probably would have mirrored flow completely. So I'm going to think on my feet here and think of something funny to say. Best memory. What about Swindon beating Leicester 4-3 to get to the Premier League when Glenn Hoddle just decided to come back to England and play as a sweeper? It was just (laughs) glorious. And the sound of Craig Maskell's shot hitting the inside of the post at Wembley, the old thick posts. Uh, was brilliant. Worst memory. Well, this was an amazing game. Charlton for Sunderland four. Mickey Gray missed penalty four four three three. They lost on penalties anyway. And then the following week, I was sixteen years old. Went to Ayanapa with my then Chelsea uh, youth team, and Mickey Gray was there. And he was just walking the beach. He was wearing like a retro Brazilian shirt bottle of beer in hand just you know across the shoreline just deep in thought for the entirety of the week bless him <laughs> the whole week he was going up and down for the whole week he didn't go it must out, have been really? it might have, it might have been just one day but i remember him you know just looking so forlorn you know and that was it and I, that's what i was hoping to become <laughs> did you not go and put your arm around him phil brownstone <laughs> I, I, I didn't i didn't i'm sure i'm sure he was able to put the ball away in the evening and enjoy himself in uh Black and white or whatever the little R&B club was called back in the day. <laughs> that was that period, wasn't it? The, the Swindon-Leicester one and the, the, the Sunderland-Charlton one. Sort of 90s, just got amazing championship yeah. playoff finals. There was that Reading-Bolton one, uh, I remember, that was absolutely sensational. Uh, my I best... thought you were going to say that was uh, the, the 90s was, was the time to be in Napa because that is absolutely true as well. <laughs> Napa 96, I was there. Absolutely Mickey brilliant. Mickey Gray, myself and DJ Spoonie. <laughs> oh, thank goodness they weren't smart phones back in those days uh, that's all I can say my best playoff memory 2007 Yeovil nil Nottingham Forest 2 in the first leg of the League 1 playoff semi-final pretty good a uh, week later my worst playoff memory Nottingham Forest 2 Yeovil 5 5 against Yeovil conceded 5 goals at home having been 2-0 up in the first leg uh, uh, anyway George and Ali will be back with more playoff goodness on Friday morning in extra time. They'll react to the games which have taken place. Do join them if you can. Until then, from Flo, from Sam, from Adrian, from producer Abby and from me, many thanks for your company. We'll catch up with you again soon. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. 
Check out all of the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual places, or listen ad free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic. <laughs>